Welcome to the Radiant Podcast. We are so glad you joined us today. This podcast features messages, interviews, and discussions from Radiant Church located in Seneca, South Carolina. For more information about Radiant, visit RadiantChurchSC.com. Here's today's episode. Welcome to Radiant Church. My name is Andrew. I'm the lead pastor, and we're so glad you could join us today from wherever you're watching or listening from. If this is your first time joining us, hey, head to RadiantChurchSC.com and click I'm new. If you fill out that short form online for us as a way of saying thanks, we're going to donate $5 to one of the nonprofits that's listed right there. Well, we've reached the end of our time in James's letter, and we're going to highlight the end of chapter five here today. Now, if you've been following us every week, um, then you know that we've been taking large chunks of the, of the of the chapters, right, and then breaking them down. We haven't gone verse by verse the entire letter because we don't have enough time to do that in five weeks. However, we are going to come back to James later on down the road, and we'll cover the passages that we didn't cover this time around, okay? But for you guys who are watching and listening, maybe it's your first time today. I want to do a quick recap so you know where we've been, and then I want to encourage you to do this. Go back and watch or listen to the different talks we gave throughout this teaching series, okay? I think you'll find that you're going to learn and grow if you do that. So we began in James chapter 1, learning about troubles and temptations. So God develops us in our troubles, right? But the enemy tries to destroy us during temptations. However, the good news is when temptation does strike, we now know what areas of our lives are not receiving God's full attention. And these areas can become catalysts for spiritual growth. James chapter 2, we were taught how to reject prejudice in our lives. And we do that when we value and accept and forgive and get close to people. It also allows us to get to know each other on a deeper level, and it's much harder to show prejudice to somebody that you you know, you know in person, right? Rather than a, a nameless, faceless kind of person in the masses. Then we get to James chapter 3, and James taught us the importance of allowing God to change our hearts so that our words can speak life and build folks up instead of tearing them down. So your words are powerful, and you might think you can control them on your own, but really, you can't. You need God's help because your words are really a reflection of what's actually going on inside of your heart. Then last week, we got to James chapter 4, and our focus on that passage was on closing the relational gap between ourselves and God, or ourselves and others. And we do that by staying humble and abdicating the role of judge to God. We leave the judging to Him. That's not our job. That's his. Now, all of this brings us to a really unique ending to James. One of the reasons this is such a great letter is because it's full of wisdom, right? But it's also very practical. So most of James's, you know, what he's written up to this point has been practical. You can work hard at it. You need God's help for sure. But there are things you can do on your own to kind of get going in the right direction. So, but at the end of James chapter 5, we get into some deeply spiritual things. In fact, in our passage, we see James is going to mention the word prayer seven different times. Why? Why does he focus so much on prayer? Well, we can try to watch what we say. We can try to reject prejudice. We can try to close the relational gaps, right? We can do all the things James talks about in his letter, but the reality is we will all face things in our lives which cause us to realize that in all of our attempts to get everything right, it's simply not enough without the power of prayer. In fact, one of the ways I want you to think about prayer here today is this, that prayer is the difference between the best that I can do and the best that God can do. And what I'd like to do today is share with you some important truths, three important truths really, from James chapter 5 on having prayers of faith. Here's the first one from verse number 13. Prayer puts my unknown future into the hands of an all-knowing God. Look at verse number 13. Are any of you suffering hardships, James says? You should pray. Are any of you happy? You should sing praises. 
Now, here's the thing. The problem about a problem is not actually the problem. What tends to give us the most anxiety and the stress is not the actual problem we're facing. It's where we're headed with it. It's fear of the unknown. People will actually choose options, by the way, which are more harmful for them and detrimental to them over time uh, because of the unknown, right? Because they're at least familiar with things that are the worst option. It's fascinating how human behavior works that way, right? And we usually don't treat our spiritual lives any different. And what James is saying, he's saying, hey, man, if you're in trouble, God is not likely to tell you, you know, what he'll do and how he'll get you out. But he is going to be at work, you know? Many of us, I think, don't have the confidence that God is actually at work in something we know nothing about. You know, God isn't pacing the floor of heaven, wringing his hands, you know, trying to figure out what am I going to do next, right? Where are these problems going to lead us to? But we find ourselves doing that all the time, don't we? See, some of us, you know, we, we grew up in church, and maybe you heard this song as a kid. kind of goes like this. You can sing it with me if you know it, right? Uh, he's got the whole world, right? In his hands. Yeah, good. Remember that? Uh, you know why I like those old school songs, by the way, we teach kids? Because they actually had some solid biblical truth to them, right? Like, that song is all about how God's got this, and he really does. But do you believe it? See, Jesus says this in Matthew chapter 6. Listen to what he says here in Matthew 6, verse 31. He says, don't worry about these things, saying, what are we going to eat? What are we going to drink? What are we going to wear? These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers. Oh, that's important. But your heavenly Father, well, He already knows all your needs. So seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously, and He'll give you everything you need. Don't worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow brings enough of its own worries. Today's trouble, man, it's enough for today. Like many of you, I, I faced things this year that left me feeling like, man, I have no idea this is going to work out. I don't know what I'm going to do. I don't know what we're going to do. And each time I felt stress and anxiety kind of build up in my life, I would try to stop and briefly pray, hey, Lord, you've got this. God, it's in your hands. And I didn't, I didn't get a magical response from God. I didn't see visions or dreams or anything like that. He didn't speak in a loud, clear, audible voice to me. But I did get peace. And each time I pray that little prayer, there's something comforting and peaceful which comes over me. And that's because when we choose not to worry, as Paul says in Philippians 4, 6, and 7, but instead of pray and thank God, God, He sends us a calming peace. And it's that peace which comforts you and allows you to walk in the unknown with absolute confidence that God's got this. So not only is God all-knowing, but He's also all-powerful too. And James 5 reminds us this, that prayer puts my hopeless situation in the hands of an all-powerful God. So James 5, verses 14 and 15, Are any of you sick, he says, call the elders of the church to come and pray over you, anointing them with oil in the name of the Lord. Such a prayer offered in faith will heal the sick, and the Lord will make you well. We have an all-knowing God who works in ways we can't see or don't understand. But here at James reminds us that we have a God who works in what we deem at hopeless situations, right? Which leave us feeling as if there's nothing we can do to fix it. I think few things leave us feeling as hopeless as hearing a doctor say it's terminal, right? There's nothing we can do at this point. We got some practices we can do that will help your quality of life, that kind of thing. That's a hopeless situation. But hopeless situations also wear themselves in different ways too, right? Like, I don't know where you're at right now, but maybe you're watching or listening today, and it's not your health that's hopeless, but it's your marriage, or it's your family, or your finances, or any number of things which has left you feeling hopeless and helpless and wondering if you can do anything to fix it. 
Well, first, I want you to know it's never too late for God, and it's never hopeless. You understand? Never hopeless. There's a God who can raise the dead and heal the sick, who is certainly at work in our world right now. And the question isn't, you know, can God do it? Because He can. Rather, it's do you have faith that He can? I'm not, I'm not assigning, like, the outcome of God's will for your life in a hopeless situation based on your level of faith, okay? But what I'm doing is challenging you just to have faith. Simply have trust and belief that God can act on your behalf. I want to take you real quick to Romans chapter 4. We're hearing a little bit about a man named Abraham. Now listen to what Romans 4 says about Abraham. Verse number 18. Even when there was no real uh, hope, Abraham kept hoping, believing that he would become the father of many nations. For God said to him, that's how many descendants you're going to have. And Abraham's faith, it didn't weaken. Even though at about a hundred years of age, he figured his body was as good as dead, and so was Sarah's womb. Now if you don't know the story of Abraham, you can read about it in the very first book of the Bible in Genesis. But Abraham has this promise that God's going to make him into a great nation. But the problem is, he doesn't have any kids. And biologically speaking, he can never have kids. He's 100 years old. His wife, Sarah, she ain't no spring chicken either. She's like in her late 90s, okay? Women don't have kids when they're that old. It's a hopeless situation. Yet we read Abraham does what? He kept hoping, believing he'd become the father of many nations. It's his hopeless situation where he keeps hoping and he kept the faith that God would do what he said he would do. And look what Romans says here, the next verse in verse 20. Abraham never wavered, believing in God's promise. In fact, his faith grew stronger. And in his, he brought glory to God. He was fully convinced that God is able to do whatever he promises. Abraham was fully convinced in his hopeless situation that the God of all hope was actively at work and would carry out his promises. Now, here's the third truth I want to share with you today. Prayer puts my broken life into the hands of an all-forgiving God. Verse number 15. And if you've committed any sins, James says, you'll be forgiven. Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you might be healed. The earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. Man, if you've sinned, James says, you can find forgiveness. Start by confessing your sins to each other. In other words, like have some accountability, right? Do you have people in your life that you can go to for spiritual guidance? and mentoring? Is there somebody you can confess your sins to who won't judge you, but will love you and walk you through restoration? That's accountability. That's important. But also notice that James says the earnest prayer of someone who is righteous has power. That's a really familiar verse in church circles. It's been quoted quite a bit. What's interesting to me, though, is that, hey, nobody actually is righteous on their own merit, right? You know, we know from Romans 3.10 that nobody is righteous, not even one. So a righteous Righteous person is someone whose wrongs have been made right by God. Now, how does that happen? Well, I like how the message describes 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Look at this real quick. How you ask? Well, in Christ, God put the wrong on him who never did anything wrong so we could be put right with God. Romans 10, 13 even says, you know, that anyone who calls the name of the Lord will be saved. So you're made right by allowing Jesus to forgive you of your sins, your wrongs, and submitting to his authority. That, by the way, is called making him your Lord and Savior. Anybody can do this. Now, part of the reason that James goes in this direction is, especially in the next couple of verses, is because he wants you to see what anybody, any ordinary person with faith and power can do. Look at verse number 17. Elijah was as human as we are. 
Yet when he prayed earnestly that no rain would fall, none fell for three and a half years. Then he prayed again, and the sky opened up and sent down rain, and the earth began to yield crops. So James tells the story of Elijah to show his readers that anyone can be made right with God. When that happens, they can pray incredibly powerful prayers. Elijah is the most revered prophet in the Old Testament. He actually didn't even die. Like God sends a chariot of fire to sweep him up from the world and bring him up to heaven. It's pretty cool. So Elijah and Moses is the other person I would say are the most respected figures in the Old Testament by everybody, especially the Jewish Christians in James's church. His readers are without a doubt saying, you know what, James, I hear you, bro, but prayer, it works for Elijah. He's got God's ear. He's the closest thing to perfect you can get. I'm a nobody, right? And part of the reason for this inclusion is I think James wants them to see that, nah, man, Elijah's just like you. Prayer can work for you too if you're made right with God like Elijah. So he's teaching his readers, not only can they pray powerful prayers, but those powerful prayers are powered by faith. That's what Elijah had. That's the whole key here. In fact, let's go to his story just for a little bit here today. 1 Corinthians 17, verse number 1. Now Elijah, who was from Tishbe and Gilead, told King Ahab, As surely as the Lord, the God of Israel, lives, the God I serve, there will be no dew or rain during the next few years until I give the word. So why can Elijah say that? Well, because God had spoken to him already, you know? He's carrying around a, a, a word that God had given him, and that's actually kind of how faith works. It begins with a word from God, a promise from God, right? And how do you get that word from God? You get into the actual word of God. Listen very carefully to me today. You can tell me God's speaking to you all day long in a whole bunch of different ways, but if you're not getting into God's word, if you're not soaking in the word of God, I ain't buying what you're selling. And here's why. Romans 10, 17 tells us this. Faith comes from what? From hearing, and that is what? the good news about Christ. In other words, the Word of God. It comes from the Word of God first. God's Spirit brings to life the Scriptures and speaks to us as we read and soak in the Word of God in our hearts. So, like, are you worried about your family? You know, you want a word from God on what to do? Don't go asking from somebody else. Go to Joshua 24, 15. As for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord, Joshua says. There it is. The pandemic's surging back. Maybe it's got you concerned. You're looking for a word. Don't go on YouTube looking up for prophecies. Look at Psalm 91. The Lord, He alone is my refuge and my place of safety. He is God and I trust Him. For He will rescue me from every trap and protect you from every deadly disease. The economy is a little wonky right now. There's a lot of unknown. What do you do about it? Well, there's a word for you from the Word of God. Philippians 4.19, Paul says this about God. He'll supply all your needs from His glorious riches, which have been given to us in Christ Jesus. And yeah, I know the election's been kind of crazy, and it's worked you up. Half the country's split. Half of you are really excited. Half of you are really angry. And yet, here's a word from God. Don't go to anybody else. A word from God about how to handle it. You know where it comes from? Psalms 121. Check this out. I look up to the mountains, but in Capitol Hill, the White House, government, whatever. Does my help come from there? No. My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth, and He will not let you stumble. The one who watches over you will not slumber. Hey, you got to be in the Word of God if you want to get a word from God. Elijah's story continues, okay? So let's, let's follow that along in verse number 18. It's been three and a half years now since, since it rained. He tells Israel's king in verse number 41 of chapter 18, get ready to eat and drink. A storm is brewing. Then in verse 42, he climbs up the Mount Carmel and he begins to pray. Now, 
Doesn't look like rain's coming. The sky's clear. It's blue. There's no rain in sight. Elijah is praying. Hey, what's the takeaway so far? The takeaway is this. Don't give up. It's a clear blue day. Rain's not supposed to be on the way, right? Doesn't look like it. And yet Elijah has faith. He's like, he's not going to give up. He's going to keep praying. Rain's going to come. Rain's going to come. Rain's going to come. I think all too often we give up too quickly. Don't do it. Don't give up. When you have a word from God, hold on to it. You know, keep the faith like Abraham did. Keep hoping, man. Keep praying. First Corinthians 18, or First Kings 18, verses 43 and 44, we read that Elijah sends his servant to the coast and says, hey, come back and report what you see. The servant comes back and goes, hey, it's clear. Elijah didn't say, well, I guess I miss God. And then he goes home. He tells the servant, hey, go back. And he goes back seven more times. Now, I don't know, you know, what you've been praying for right now. And maybe you've been praying for some things for years and just promises that God's given you, you've been holding on to it and you're saying, man, I'm tired, it's not happened yet, I'm ready to throw in the towel. Don't do it. Don't give up. Go back and keep praying. Go back and keep trusting. On the seventh return, his servant says, I see a cloud. It's as big as a man's fist. That's all Elijah needs though. He tells the king, go home, man, a monsoon's coming. You know, a little cloud like this big, rising out of the sea. Go home. What is that? Faithful endurance, not giving up, going back each and every time I'm trusting and believing in God, right? The sky starts to grow back. The, the, the cloud is growing. A storm begins to brew. The king of Israel is heading back in his chariot. And the power of God comes on Elijah. And he does something that's really amazing and actually impossible. He outruns the chariot. Now, the chariot's pulled probably by two horses, mind you, right? And he outruns that thing. When you have faith, it doesn't just begin to, you know, build and start. It begins to break through the supernatural realm into our natural world. And you might say, well, pastor, that's, that's crazy. Well, of course it is if you trust in man alone, but not if you trust in God and let him work. So James is going to end his letter now in the last two verses of verse number 19 by saying this. Hey, my dear brothers and sisters, if someone among you wanders away from the truth and is brought back, you can be sure that whoever brings the sinner back from wandering will save that person from death and bring about the forgiveness of many sins. I think sometimes we get so caught up in church circles of wanting to see miracles and see the supernatural work and chasing visions and dreams and learning how to tap into that Holy Spirit power here and there that we forget and we miss what's actually most important. James is saying to his readers, to his scattered church, okay, guys, I hope you experience some amazing things. I hope you experience the supernatural. I hope you can write the ship with all the things we've been talking about in the letter here so far. But if none of that happens, the most important thing, here it is. It's not that everything works out on earth. It's that us and our loved ones are in the kingdom of God. Because that's what it's all about. It's about bringing people from darkness to light as we say here at Radiant Church, so they can know God and then find freedom and discover the unique purpose that God has for their life so they can make an eternal difference in this world. It's all about changed lives. I'm going to ask you as we step into a new series of talks over the next couple of weeks here called Christmas Cards to not make the next several weeks about you. Instead, I want you to make it about connecting people who are far from God with Christ. If you're watching or listening and you're, you're long distance, meaning you're not local to our area, I want to encourage you, share these teachings over the next few weeks, man. Hold some small group gatherings in your home. Watch the message together. Talk through the experience together. I'm, I'm going to be praying for people who don't know Christ in your life and your circle. that They would come to know Jesus. They would come to your small group and find Christ during that period, right? If you are local, I want to encourage you to bring people to Radiant who need to experience the life-changing power of Jesus. 
If you choose not to come out of caution for COVID, we completely understand that. There's a lot of folks who are still staying home as a result of the surge that's been going around. So have them watch online, okay? But bring people with you. Like, you know, we're going to share the Christmas story. I know it's kind of familiar and we're kind of, you know, I, I get that. But I'm believing through faith that elements each week that we share and focus on will speak to specific people in different ways that God will change their hearts and their lives no matter who's here on those given weeks. Now, what about today? What about this moment right now, okay? Maybe you're watching or listening and you realize you don't have a lot of faith. In fact, you don't have any faith in Christ whatsoever, but you're ready for a change here today. Well, I'll walk you through a, a prayer in just a moment and lead you to make Jesus your Savior, meaning He forgives you of your wrongs, but also your Lord, meaning now your life belongs to Him. And that's how you become, by the way, a part of God's kingdom. But I also want to pray for those of you who are Christians and you're struggling with faith right now, right? Maybe you're praying and your, your faith is just not there. Maybe your situation feels hopeless. Maybe you're afraid of the unknown. Maybe you keep giving up instead of holding on to that hope like Abraham and Elijah. I want to pray for you. And God will do some work in your heart and your life and you'll return with hope and faith, right? That you'll become like an Elijah, like a person whose wrongs have been made right, whose faith is responsible for powerful, life-changing, incredible prayers. So, Father, I thank you for every individual who's watching. Thanks for listening. If you have any questions or would like to reach out to us, you can do so by emailing us at media at radiantchurchsc.com or visit one of our social accounts on Facebook, Instagram, or YouTube. If you like what you heard today, subscribe to our podcast so you don't miss any future episodes and give us a five-star rating on the podcast platform that you listen to. We hope you have an amazing rest of your day.